Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Ah. I'm sorry, I'm just basking in this moment here because there is uh, what uh, our, our military friends would call a target-rich environment. There's so much, so much going on today. And I want to start with, uh, speaking of target-rich environments, I want to start with a quick comment on the, the ABC News footage that was aired. You've been hearing about this. They actually used footage from the Knob Creek machine gun shoot from two years ago. And portrayed it as, well, this is actually a, a massacre of Kurdish civilians in Turkey. And, you know, I know that anytime you bring up fake news, some people are going to get defensive or they're going to say, well, it's only fake if you disagree with it. And I can kind of see their point. We can tend to get a little tribal and a whole bunch subjective when it's our point of view that's being questioned. And I'm willing to cut people slack for an honest mistake. But I don't think this could possibly have been an honest mistake on the part of ABC News. Some people are saying, just let it go. Come on. They, they apologized. They said they were sorry. But I, I want to unpack this a little bit to, to just see if, if sorry is going to cut it. Keeping in mind that not only did they show footage, which they purported to be portraying some kind of a horrific massacre in Kurdish-controlled uh, or a Kurdish area of Syria that borders Turkey. So it was, it was done to show a NATO ally is attacking this Kurdish population, and this is probably Trump's fault because he said, hey, we're pulling 50, or 50 soldiers out of there who've been advising the Kurds and fighting alongside the Kurds against uh, ISIS elements, or so we've been told. So the first question you have to ask is, who stands to gain from that? Well, if it makes the president look bad, hmm, I don't know who, who would benefit from that. The American people, possible uh, political opponents, the press itself. See, we told you. OK, that's one possibility. But for ABC just to say, well, oh, sorry, I, I really think that the sorry is well, sorry we got caught. Or sorry you people figured this out or you weren't apathetic enough to just swallow the lie and run with it. But as you heard on the Joe Carey show a couple of days ago, this is not just an honest mistake. It wasn't just, well, we got this raw, unedited footage and we were showing that. No, they cropped out the cell phones. And when you see the unedited footage, the original footage from Knob Creek, you can see literally dozens of people holding their cell phones up, filming this mad minute of a night shoot at a machine gun event. That changes the context a whole bunch. They changed the color and contrast of the video. They added commentary that was a blatant lie. It wasn't an error. ABC even tried to make the source unsearchable. I like my friend Sean Maxwell's take on it. He says they were just trying to smear Trump. 
regardless of journalistic ethics. And and this is where the rubber meets the road. This is if if I sound like well I'm getting a little uh, little wound up here. If you want to claim to be a legitimate news outfit and not some fake outfit or some propaganda organ for whomever, there are journalistic ethics. There are standards that have to be observed. That means they don't get the luxury of applying labels or spinning things to to fit whatever their agenda is. Now, if you want to be simply a commentator or an activist or some kind of an advocate, then by all means do so, but be open about it. Tell people up front, here's where we're coming from or here's what we would like you to believe and here's why. And then try to make the case that this is this is why we're right. But they had to deceive. And to me, that deception is absolutely the nail in the coffin of why you cannot trust the legacy media in too many cases. There are some exceptions. There are some journalists who who do uphold journalistic standards. But speaking very generally, and I know I'm painting with a broad brush, these organizations that count themselves as the essential fourth estate of, of free speech, why they're fourth estate, fourth branch of the government, here to tell us what we need to know. No, they're telling us what we are supposed to think. And in some cases, how we're supposed to feel. Because it fits whatever agenda they are trying to serve, not because it fits the truth. As my friend points out, you know, if you, if you want to, if, if the decision Trump made to pull U.S. troops out of Syria is really hurting the Kurds, then simply air the truth. But that's not what ABC News did. They, they created a narrative and a false one at that using false footage. Now, I'm really not one for saying, you know, well, there ought to be a law. But my understanding is networks like ABC do operate under the licensure of the FCC. Maybe it's time to revoke their license. It's not a mistake when it has to pass through that many layers of approval to get on the air and they choose to run with it. Someone along the line should have had the integrity and character to say, hey, guys, this is not right. Even if there were some people within that decision-making chain who didn't know for sure where the footage came from, someone did. And the fact that they had to alter it to make sure it wasn't too obvious. I mean, how many war zones do you see? Seriously. Dozens of people standing around with a cell phone filming it like there's no risk. In a real war zone, it'd be a two-way shooting range. And people would be... You know, they might they might be pouring out that volume of fire, but they'd be doing it from behind cover because they don't know if somebody's going to respond. And now it has given birth to some pretty good memes. I, I actually saw a good one earlier today of uh, the dragon from uh, Game of Thrones laying waste to a place. Look, oh, there's more more Syria, Syria footage. <laughs> But uh, but the truth here is, you know, if if you're going to do this, why not just take, you know, some footage from Schindler's List and claim the people being tossed in the ovens are Kurds? This is all Trump's fault. It'd go really well with the uh, Trump is literally Hitler theme. As my friend says, I hate having to defend any politician, especially when Trump can defend himself. But it's way beyond the pale. It's not just a mistake. All right. I'm going to calm down a moment here. 801-331-8113. Hi. Welcome to Loving Liberty. Good morning, Brian. Hello, Sam. Sam. 
my comment on this, I'm just about any more to where if it comes out of the uh, establishment, unless I can vet it otherwise, I almost always consider it garbage. Uh, it's gotten that bad. And the reason I say that is because if you are a journalist who has honesty and integrity, you will not last long. They will get rid of you. I mean, look at Cheryl Atkinson. There's a perfect case in point. Yep. Uh, trying to get the word out on a lot of stuff that was really going on, including the vaccine issue and various other things. Um, and look what happened to her. So, I mean, it, it pretty much anymore, if you are an honest journalist, you have no place in the mainstream media. And so what we have here is we have the mainstream media that would just assume lies to you know, they'd lie when the truth would serve them well. And then you have those of us out here running the alternative media that are at a severe disadvantage because we're, we're not only fighting the mainstream media, but we're fighting the big tech companies as well as far as getting our message out. And um, so this is pretty much where I am on it anymore. If, I, if it comes out of the establishment until I can vet it and make sure it's true, I just automatically on the surface just blow it off pretty much. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I have turned off most of the media. Um, rarely will I ever watch, you know, broadcast television uh, news coverage. And occasionally I'll, I'll check out a story that pops up online. But even then, I, I am a skeptic, and I probably will remain so till my dying day. Yeah. And basically what you have here with ABC News, they got caught. That's all it really was. It's, it's, uh, they, they would have if they've not. If they had not gotten caught, it would have just kept going and going and going. And see, they get, uh, my wife, Trish, there says, sorry, don't shine my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, she has the snack sometimes. They're coming up with these little one-liners that just kind of says it all in one fell swoop, you know. All those guys out here, Brian, we have to sit here and analyze it and, and uh, make a big deal over it. And then Trish comes along and just says a one-liner and it pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I, I'm going to write that one down. I will give attribution yeah. to. Trish said this. Sorry, don't yeah. shine my shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, she's she's come up with a lot of stuff. You know, like that. But you know, and it goes back to one of the things that um, that I've said a long time ago. We're getting into a really sad point in this country. We had Ron Paul who ran back in 2012, and I remember reading some stuff from Chuck Baldwin on him where. Hang with me. To, Hang with me. Yeah, i, I got to take the break here, but, but let's, let's come back to this. I actually have a, uh, an article by Ron Paul about the Kurds that may surprise some folks. But uh, let's continue our conversation. Sam's on the line from Missouri. We'll be back after these messages. Hey, once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I've got Sam on the line with me from Missouri. We're talking about uh, bias in the media. What? Perish the thought. Could there be such a thing? Yes. <laughs> Who ever thunk? Well, and, and it's it's amazing because we have so many sources available to us today. But, uh, but some of the, the big established legacy media sources, I think they've crossed the line here, Sam. I, I mean... There was a time when uh, when they were very trusted, and, and I'm sure you're old enough to remember Walter Cronkite. Uh, I do too. But there was a time when you could you could pretty much trust what was being told to you. Nowadays, uh, you, I, I think any thinking person would have to approach almost any information source, including you know the, my, myself or any any of the the programs that, that we carry here on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. You've got to ask yourself, 
Why is this person telling this the way that they're telling it? Well, yeah, and I mean, uh, I don't even know if Cronkite was trusting, uh, very trustworthy when uh, I heard him in a in a clip uh, at a Hillary event backing Hillary promoting world government, you know, so I mean... No, good point, but but remember, when he was doing the news, though, he did compartmentalize and keep his opinions out of the news. He was he was more of a straight reporter. After he retired, though, you're right, He the, the cloak came off and it was like, oh... Well, there was a leftist under there the whole time, but I think he yeah. I think he did a pretty admirable job. Now, I was a kid, so my powers of discernment weren't quite as developed. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one I always enjoyed hearing was Paul Harvey. Uh, oh, yes. That was that voice. I wish that voice were still around. I'd love to hear his analysis of where we are now. I mean, he's not around to see it all, but uh, maybe that's a blessing to him. But uh, You and I were talking about Paul the other day, and I, I've thought about this since our conversation. And, and just asking myself, who would I consider the most trusted voice? You know, if they were saying it, I'd be like, yeah, I bet you I bet you you could hang your hat on it. And Paul Harvey right now sits at the top of that list. I mean, I'm open to suggestions, but I can't think of a more trusted voice within my lifetime. Yeah, I know. And he had a lot to contend with. Uh, you know, he was with ABC News, you know, and he had a lot to contend with. And, and one of the things that really struck me is when he died... There was a real quick commemoration if you were around to catch it. But after that, they couldn't push him to the curb fast enough. I mean, his stuff, other than to, I'm surprised he's still on YouTube, to be honest with you, in the, in the archives that are up there. I mean, and I, if they get a lot of attention, I don't know how long they'll be. But ABC couldn't scrub and get rid of anything, any vestiges of him fast enough, it seemed. How sad. Yeah, and... Um, but, you know, we do this to ourselves, because one of the things I want to tell you before we um, uh, went into the break was, back when Ron Paul ran in 2012, and Chuck Baldwin talked about this at great length, uh, great length. Uh, he's good friends with Ron Paul as well, and uh, he made the statement that uh, when Ron Paul spoke in South Carolina, uh, he, he was speaking, trying to get everybody to understand our war policy and how messed up it was. And he was talking about, we need to honor the golden rule. You know, that's the thing we were all taught as kids. And it was the, you know, simply the rule that you'll find even, you know, even uh, talked about in the Bible. You don't do things to other people that you wouldn't want done to you. And that's what he was trying to point out. And Brian, I I heard the clip and it, it was chilling. It was Christians that were booing him, people that yeah. should know better, people that should understand the golden rule. They were booing him, you know, when he was talking about this issue of getting out of these needless wars and all this kind of stuff. And I'm saying there's far too many of us, and I'm not saying like you or me. I mean, I think we try to analyze this stuff and understand it for what it really is. I'm not perfect. None of us are, but we try. We try our best to put forth an honest assessment. But there's far too many people out there that get in this uh, our side versus the other side, and no matter what our side does, uh, they can't do no wrong. In fact, uh, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. made the statement here a while back that it didn't matter what Trump did, Trump could do absolutely anything, and he would never, he would never uh, go after Trump and consider him wrong on what he was doing. That's the same thing the other side does with the Democrat presidents. I mean, yep. we can't allow this to happen, you know, in our sphere of influence, you know, I mean, we need to call it as it is. When Donald Trump does something he shouldn't do, we need to call it out. And I know you do and I do. 
It's like oh. Ammon Bundy said here a few months ago, and he took a ton of heat for saying it. But he said, folks, you got to stop treating Donald Trump like he's some kind of a demigod. Stop making yeah. excuses. If he does something right, perfect. That's fine. But if he does something wrong, you need to be consistent and call it out. Yeah, and where I find ourselves, and I'll just leave you with this because I know you got other stuff to, to do here, Brian. But where I find ourselves now, we are at a point now where we find ourselves having to defend the guy because the Democrats are so busy beating him up over frivolous stuff. Then we almost fall into the same trap, and I got to be careful. You know, we got to be careful about that. And that's why we have to tread very carefully that we don't beat up on the guy needlessly, but we don't. Uh, at the same time, we don't just look at him like he's God or something. He's not God. Uh, he certainly has uh, done some stuff that I would call questionable. These red flag laws being behind that and being behind the uh, USMCA is another one that I would call him out on. So, I mean, uh, you know, and that's a whole story for another day. We can talk about that later. But we just need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap that the other side is doing. Well, if it's a Democrat, it's good. And if yep. it's a Republican, why, it's always no good. Sam, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your take. You bet. God bless. And you, too. All right. 801-331-8113. Sam actually has set the stage beautifully for a couple of things that I want to share with you. One of them is a, uh, a commentary. It's an essay from Ron Paul, just published this morning on LewRockwell.com. The other one was published yesterday on the uh, Mises.org website by Jeff Deist. Politics drops its pretenses. And this one fits in very nicely with that uh, that tribal mentality that kicks in when we become politically possessed. I'm going to be using that phrase more and more. And if it offends you, I'm not doing it because I'm trying to tweak your nose or otherwise, you know, I'm not looking down on you. But look, people lose their minds during election cycles. We saw it in 2016. It's kind of been a just a continuous thing going on even since then, since uh, some people not naming names, but uh, just cannot accept the results of that election. And it's only going to get crazier. As we move forward, let's go to Ron Paul's commentary, though. Washington is wrong once again as the Kurds join Assad to defend Syria. He says, when President Trump tweeted last week that it's time for us to get out of these ridiculous, endless wars, adding that the U.S. would be withdrawing from Syria, Washington went into a panic. Suddenly, Republicans, Democrats, the media, think tanks, and the war industry all discovered and quickly became experts on the Kurds, who we were told was an ally being sent to its slaughter by an ignorant President Trump. But he says that was all just another bipartisan ploy to keep the forever war gravy train rolling through the beltway. Ron Paul says interventionists will do anything to prevent U.S. troops from ever coming home. And their favorite tactic is promoting mission creep. As President Trump tweeted, we were told in 2014 by President Obama that the U.S. military would go into Syria for just 30 days to save the Yazidi minority that they claimed were threatened. Then that mission crept into we must fight ISIS. And so the military continued to illegally occupy and bomb Syria for five more years. Even though it was the Syrian army with its Russian and Iranian allies that did the bulk of the fighting, against al-Qaeda and ISIS in Syria, President Trump took credit and called the troops to come home. But when the military comes home, the military-industrial complex and the uh, congressional media complex loses its cash cow. So a new rationale had to be invented. 
The latest mission creep was we have to stay in Syria to save our allies, in quotation marks, the Kurds. All of a sudden, our military presence in Syria wasn't about fighting terrorism, but rather putting U.S. troops between our NATO ally, Turkey, and our proxy fighting force, the Kurds. Do they really want us to believe that it's pro-American for our troops to fight and die, refereeing a long-standing dispute between the Turks and the Kurds? There's more to this commentary from Ron Paul. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments. This is Loving Liberty. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. This is Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. My number is 801-331-8113. And I thank you for joining me. I'm sharing with you a commentary from Ron Paul. Yes, that Ron Paul. Washington is once again wrong. The Kurds now are joining Assad to defend Syria. I love his point that he made just as we were going to a break of where, since when is it pro-American? For our troops to fight and die refereeing a long-standing dispute between the Turks and the Kurds. Ron Paul says it was a colossally dumb idea to train and arm the Kurds in Syria in the first place. But after spending billions backing what turned out to be al-Qaeda affiliates in Syria to overthrow the Assad government, Washington found out the Kurds were the only willing boots remaining on the ground. And while their interest in fighting ISIS was limited, they were happy to use Washington's muscle in pursuit of their long-term goal of carving out a part of Syria and eventually Turkey for themselves. He says, we can never leave because there will be a slaughter, Washington claimed, and the media, of course, faithfully repeated that. But once again, the politicians, the mainstream media, and the Beltway experts have been proven wrong. They never understand that sending U.S. troops into another country without the proper authority is not a stabilizing factor, but a destabilizing factor. And Ron Paul says, I've argued that were the U.S. to leave Syria and the rest of the Middle East, the countries of the region would find a way to solve their own problems. And now that the U.S. is pulling back from northern Syria, that is just what's happening. On Sunday, the Kurds and the Syrian government signed an agreement brokered by the Russians to put aside their differences and join together to defend against Turkey's incursion into Syrian territory. Now our Kurdish allies are fighting alongside the army of Syrian President Assad, who we are still told by U.S. officials must go. He says Washington doesn't understand that our intervention only makes matters worse. The best way to help the Kurds and everyone else in the region is to just come home. And I would have to ask, too, why, why is it that the U.S. is saying Assad must go? That's a decision for the people of his country. And perhaps if he is aggressing against other countries that neighbor him, maybe it's in their interest. But what Bashar Assad is doing in no way affects you or me 
here at home. And so I have to ask, where does the moral authority come from on the part of our government to boldly and authoritatively claim that uh, this guy has to go and then to follow up with military action against him? It's not our fight. It's not our war. This is their internal struggle. That's when I start looking back on people like uh, John Quincy Adams and Thomas Jefferson and even George Washington in his farewell address. Warning. They all warned about entanglements. And I hope you understand, you know, because some people will just dismiss this. Well, you're just an isolationist. All you want to do is turtle up and just hide your head in the sand. Isolationism is not a dirty word. It's an epithet, to be sure, the way that it's being used. But what we're describing here is minding our own business. Or put more simply, if we're going to have interaction with other countries, it should not be on a military basis. Now, that could even extend to giving aid to other countries. You say that there's suffering, there are displaced people. You need some help. There are a lot of ways that we can help. In fact, the nonprofit sector does this a lot. There are a lot of charities out there that, that do wonderful things. You know what they don't do? Sit there and drone strike people and send soldiers in to kick in their doors and wave guns in their faces. That's what our government does. And it doesn't make the situation better. It's not a stabilizing factor. It destabilizes us and it destabilizes the rest of the world. But we're supposed to believe, you know, with fervency, this is this is for the betterment of the world and it'll be a power vacuum if we're not there. But we become entangled. And like Ron Paul points out, we have mission creep and suddenly things we send our soldiers to do are on the back burner and they're doing something totally different. And more often than not, it means we end up siding with really brutal dictators. For the sake of expediency. One of the best examples of this is look at the cozy relationship between Saudi Arabia's government and the United States. If you're not familiar with what the Saudis have been doing in Yemen, it's some pretty ugly stuff. But the U.S. is arming them. The U.S. is advising, providing direct support. And again, I have to ask, what interest, what what? connection is there that would justify sending the precious lives of our service members as well as the hard-won treasure of uh, that money taxed away from American citizens to go and pursue whatever conflict is taking place there. It only serves to entangle us and to pull us into another person's intrigue and another person's business and then we have to act all surprised and shocked and victimized when, you know, 9-11 happens or, or somebody else carries out a terrorist attack on some American interest somewhere in the world. I'm not saying you have to walk around like a bleeding heart, but, you know, part of empathy is just the capacity to put yourself in the other guy's shoes. Sam was referencing the golden rule. And I wonder why that is such a tough thing for us to actually put into practice. 
if another country was carrying out drone strikes in the United States, wiping out, you know, a dozen or more people at your kid's soccer game because it's believed, hasn't been proven, but it's believed that there's a bad guy who was sitting there watching his kid playing the game. And by gosh, that drone strike got him, but it took out your kid and a couple of his friends and a couple of parents. What would you, how would your reaction go? What would you, what would you do? I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to reopen an old wound here, but as a nation, we still wallow in the pain and the anger and the fear from 9-11. And that was 18 years ago. Do you suppose people in other countries feel any differently when it's their loved ones, their neighbors, their countrymen who are dying unnecessarily? It creates bad will. It sets up blowback. And as we witnessed 18 years ago on September 11th, sometimes that blowback can take unspeakable forms none of which is to suggest that anybody who died on 9-11 deserved to die but all that meddling and all of that uh, global gamesmanship in the preceding decades is what built up to the murderous rage that a handful of radicalized individuals acted on If your country was occupied by another nation's military, I don't care how benign the purpose. I don't care if they were, they were just there to keep the peace or we're here to protect or we're here to stand by you guys because you were our allies. Would you just sit back and thank your lucky stars that thank goodness they're here to make our lives better? As their convoys are racing up and down our streets and the checkpoints are on every corner and, you know, you don't get too close or they might just machine gun you for, you know, violating their security protocols. Would we just embrace that and be like, well, but at least they're here and making us feel safe. No. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I strongly suspect that most of us if we were living under occupation, would probably be out there trying to make their lives as hellish as possible. Even if we were vastly overmatched in terms of military force, we'd pick and choose to hit them at times and places and in ways that were convenient to us and inconvenient to them. Not because we're murderous, bloodthirsty individuals, but because we hate to see our our land occupied by an occupying army. And our goal wouldn't be to kill as many of them as possible. It would be to make them so demoralized and so weary of the cost of having to look over their shoulders with every step they took that they'd eventually want to just pack up and go home. And that's what a number of people are doing in some of these other countries where right now the U.S. military is, you know, carrying out military actions of very dubious meaning. All right, when we come back, I've got a commentary here from Jeff Deist about we're all in for politics. What does that mean for this country? Can we reverse the trend? Stick around. I think you're going to like what he has to say. 
All right, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Now, I try not to make it too big of a secret that uh, I prefer a more apolitical approach to to how I see the world and and to the things that I talk about. It's not that it's not out there, and I, and I do talk about it from time to time when something really interesting comes along, but politics is ugly. It's poison. And you're seeing that uh, more and more as, as the political season ramps up towards next year's general election. So here's a question to, to be, consider. Whether you embrace politics and love it or you're like me and you just think, ugh, I want to keep my distance as much as possible. Can the increasing politiciz- politicization of life in America be stopped or even slowed? Think about how you'd answer that question. Jeff Deist asks this question in his article, Politics Drops Its Pretenses. Do you see everything becoming politicized? Does it seem like it's ramping up? Well, he says, to be sure, average Americans do not want this. Most people prefer not to lead overly political lives, beyond perhaps voting once in a while and grumbling about taxes or potholes. He says most people prefer to focus on work, family, hobbies or sports or a million other pursuits instead of politics. We watch the game instead of attending the Tuesday night city council meeting. But increasingly, he says, we all feel the pressure drawing us inexorably into a highly politicized world, which demands we take binary sides on Trump and impeachment or abortion or guns or climate change and far more. He says this politicization seeps into our jobs Family lives, neighborhoods, places of worship, social interactions, even our sports and entertainment. And he says the most salient feature of national politics in 2019 America is its lack of pretenses. The two political Americas represented by the red and blue teams no longer pretend to share a country or any desire to live peacefully together. Much has been made of this cold civil war on both the left and the right. And much of what has been made is probably overhyped. Americans are, after all, materially comfortable, soft, addled, diabetic, and rapidly aging. He says the over-65 population is set to double in the coming decades. Hot civil wars require lots of young men with nothing to lose who are not busy playing Fortnite. But the overall mood of the country is decidedly hostile and suggestive of irreconcilable differences. So how does our political system address this? Well, by throwing gasoline on the fire in the form of another national election in 2020. And that looming contest already tells a story. It's not about healing or coming together. He says today the political class is more open about its desire to hurt and punish opponents. In fact, revenge and punishment feature prominently in the political narratives that that fill our media feeds. I like the examples he uses here. Hillary Clinton recently quipped, well, maybe she should run against Donald Trump in 2020 and beat him again, openly positioning her personal vendetta as the rationale for seeking the presidency. The issues, such as they are, take a distant back seat to her more pressing goal of defeating both Trump and his voters in a visceral way. Her 2020 candidacy, should it materialize, will coalesce around revenge. Voters failed her not once, but twice in 2008 and in 2016. Her campaign, almost by necessity, 
will be a scorched-earth exercise in revenge against the deplorables. Her potential Democratic primary rival, Elizabeth Warren, meanwhile, appeared last week at an LGBT equality town hall organized by CNN for the express purpose of further politicizing sex and sexuality. So much for pre-political rights. And Jeff Deist says in response to a softball question about gay marriage likely planted, Warren sneered that a hypothetical religious man should marry a woman, quote, if he can get one. Needless to say, the audience loved it, which tells us less about Warren's vanilla safe views than it does about the setting and mood of attendees. Identity politics is required, not optional. These presidential, these presidential aspirants like uh, like Trump no longer care to maintain a facade of representing all Americans or smoothing over divisions when elections are over. Nobody runs for president to represent all Americans. And, of course, nobody could in a far-flung country of 330 million people. Candidates who give lip service to the idea, like Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, gain little traction in the media-driven blood sport. He says the presidency is about winning either red or blue America, not both. And presidential candidates will be far more open about this in 2020 and with their hostility for the Electoral College. They are in the business of winning at all costs, not persuading 51% of the electorate to, to do so. They don't want to persuade us. They just want to get that crucial 51%. And, and if you're not part of that, guess what? Then you deserve to suffer for not going along with the program. Now, the standards and justifications for politics are breaking down, says Jeff Deist. He says Democratic consensus and needful compromise and good governance, governance rather, are always empty bromides. But today, our political overlords understand and pander to an altogether different mood. The Trump presidency, like the Brexit vote, was never accepted by the same elites who spent the early 21st century gushing about the sanctity of democracy. If the entire pretense for democratic politics, ostensibly the peaceful transfer of political power and the consensual organization of human affairs, now gives way to new and uncomfortable questions, he says, well, what if we can't vote our way out of it? What if the structural problems of debt and entitlements and central banking and foreign policy cannot be solved politically? What if the culture wars are unwinnable? What if we have reached the end of politics as an instrument for keeping American society together? He says democracy and politics will not alleviate our problems. Only committed individuals working in the intermediary institutions of civil society can. Democratic elections can work locally and in small countries or communities. Switzerland's system of express uh, subs subsidiarity <clears throat> subsidiarity rather come to mind one that dramatically reduces the winner take all stakes of national elections but he says mass democracy in a country as large as america is a recipe for strife bitterness endless division and much worse murray rothbard said in power and market that ballots are hailed as substitutes for bullets but in modern america politics leads us closer to war not closer to peace or justice or comedy. Why should we accept weaponized mass politics 
when we have civil society, markets, and non-state institutions. And he finishes by saying, we need an anti-politics movement just as surely as we need an anti-war movement. Now, as you may have guessed, I tend to agree rather strongly with this. I really would like to see an anti-politics kind of movement. In fact, I do what I can on a daily basis to persuade people to consider maybe there is a better way. I have a really dear friend. She's a young mom, but I'm telling you, she is involved. She's engaged. Um, she kind of has some some strong misgivings about, uh, among other things, mandatory vaccinations and that sort of stuff. Now, that may immediately in your mind paint her well, then she's a radical. Well, you can call names if you want. But I have to tell you that I have great respect for what she is doing. Because she's involved. She's actually trying to do something that will make a difference. And that means she's willing to put herself out. She's willing to stick her neck out. Knowing full well that there will be people who may very well misunderstand her. That's part of the risk of of standing for something. Now, some of the stuff that she wants to address, you know, it it may very well have to do with uh, it. It may have something to do with, uh, for instance, you know, a public policy matter. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, but she's engaged. She's trying to help others become better informed. I don't see how that could possibly be a bad thing. As opposed to simply rah, 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 vote for this candidate, blah, blah, blah. These are the enemy. There are numerous ways we can get involved. And sometimes you got to be creative. And sometimes there are ways that only you could make a difference that I wouldn't make a difference if I tried it that same way. But if politics is really about which way are the spears or swords going to point, I would say, yeah, we need to consider, could we find a better way to do this? Trusted Voices of Truth and Insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.